since I see the timer. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the latest installment of a further discussion of the roundtable involving the Screen 2022. I'm your host, Jason Teasley, from the Second and Short Podcast. Joining me from all the way on the other end of my house is my lovely wife, Amber, from Home is Where the Hallmark is. Amber, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, good. I mean, I just seen you probably about 10 minutes ago, so um, hopefully you're, you, you, nothing's changed in those 10 minutes. And also joining us in this discussion of the screen latest entry is the, one of the staples here at the Radledger Broadcasting Network. Miss Alexis Haina from Honeysuckle Roast Creations. How you doing? Hey, good to be here, man. All right, so so that reminds me of one of my former co-hosts. So so we all love horror movies. Um, Amber, Amber, not so much, but she has a certain genre that will tie into this discussion. So we're going to just jump right into this. So the Scream franchise has been around for pretty much a staple of most of our generation. I mean, we're all real close to age, so we all kind of grew up on the original Scream. So, Alexis, starting with you first, what what do you love about the Scream franchise, and what drew you to it to start with? Well, one of the things, uh, like you said uh, earlier, it is the movie that relaunched the slasher genre uh, after its brief uh, popularity in the 80s following movies like Halloween. This was what brought in a lot of movies like I Know What You Did Last Summer, Urban Legend, the list goes on. The slasher genre was everywhere. The idea was to recapture either the horror of it, the mystery, the whodunit aspect, or just the mood, the general look and feel of this film. It became kind of the staple of horror for the longest time. Also for a lot of us in this age group, for many of us, it was the horror movie that launched us into the love of horror. Uh, this came out in the mid nineties. So a lot of us, we were uh, just starting, we were either uh, tweens or t- very young teenagers. So this was the film that kind of was our introduction to the genre it was a horror movie not just like hey let's you know go check out this uh, vhs uh friday the 13th without us, our parents knowing about us no this was the horror movie for our generation that really got a lot of us into this uh into the style as it is and i think it's really important to look at not to mention it's cut the earlier films are a who's who of actors who would go on to become some of the biggest names in Hollywood for the longest time. It's really interesting to go back and watch the first few films and be like, wow, I actually forgot that they started in this movie. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it did come out in 96, which is actually the year I graduated high school. So, uh, it was kind of, um, like you said, the reintroduction of the horror genre and, for most people, but like you pointed out, and you know, uh, I'm sure Amber is going to talk about because we've discussed it multiple times before. Some intro and what you love about the psychological horror movie because Wes Craven done this, uh, who is most notably tied to Nightmare on Elm Street, and in the 80s, early 90s, the horror movie genre was 
definitely taking a nosedive. And this right at the right at the ship per se, and got a new love, got a new fan base, and everything. So Amber, you're not really a slasher horror uh, person per se. So no. what what brought you to to love this? Because this is actually one of your favorite franchises. And definitely your favorite horror franchise. And it's kind of outside of your realm that you do enjoy. You're more of a psychological paranormal horror person. <laughs> but but for this to be a slasher movie, this is and this is probably the must-see Halloween in our house that you watch. You watch uh, a lot of... I watch it all year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what brought you and what drew you into... To your love of Scream uh, that I don't know about. Well, I've never, was never prior to watching the first Scream that came out, which is probably my freshman, sophomore year of high school. I was not much of a horror fan at all. I had seen it at a very young age and it kind of spoiled me on everything and I was terrified. <laughs> so I wouldn't watch any horror movies. Scream was the first movie that I watched that was, you would consider a horror movie um, from the time I was probably seven. Um, and I, and it kind of hit me where right at that age and it, and it piqued my interest because it was, it didn't take itself too seriously. It made fun of itself um, it was like Alexa said, a whodunit. So, you know, I kind of just fell in love with it from there. And then I have watched it. I've watched every one of them for a very every million times, probably. Um, but that's probably what it was, was it hit me at that age where I was just now starting to like get over to where I did not, I was like, <laughs> I ain't watching horror at all. And, you know, getting over that fear of that and then I turned you know saw the first screen movie fell in love with it um and then it just grew from there then I started watching more of the Halloween um I think I was probably like almost 18 before I watched my first Halloween movie <laughs> so okay. you know if it hadn't been for scream I probably would not have ever watched any more horror movies I was more actual paranormal stuff like, I'm a huge Ghost Hunters fan. That's what I watched. Um, but I was never much of a horror fan at all. Yeah, and uh, the thing with Scream, uh, which we're going to discuss, you know, throughout this when we get into the the meat and potatoes of the, uh, the 2022 incarnation of it, is Scream is a very meta um, horror movie. Uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously. I mean, one of the most beloved characters um, is basically pointing out all the tropes throughout the entire movie of uh, horror movies and using them as plot points. And, you know, if you pay real close attention, uh, he figures everything out very early on. So with that being said, you know, this is the fifth incarnation of the Scream franchise um, when... This first came out, it was first announced, um, I, I told Mark that I had to be a part of this because I'm one of the horror buffs, along with Alexis and um, Robert, that 
you know, we, we kind of take the reins when it comes to horror movies because Mark's a big pansy. Uh, but we're, we're bringing him out of that shell. So uh, going into this, when you guys first seen the trailer release, what was your initial initial thoughts? Uh, Alexis, we'll start with you. At first, I was a little, I guess I wasn't too interested at first. We've seen such a emergence of the, as they, the, the, the term they actually coin in this movie, the requel. In fact, it's kind of funny that Scream, for all intents and purposes, started the 90s slasher genre, which was the de facto horror uh, style for the longest time. Early 2000s then came over with the uh, found footage genre. And we've now our new genre is the requel. That is what we have seen the most of was our mo- with the horror movies. I would say I think that is the style of the 2010s into the 2020s. So seeing something like this, especially after the last two screen movies, really hadn't done anything for me. The fourth one I barely remember, and frankly, I thought the third one was just not good. I did oh, not. Oh, stop. <laughs> You can't say that. That's my favorite one. The third one's my favorite one. Sorry. Uh, I've seen the first one and the second one more times than I can count. The third one, (laughs) I could not stand. I felt like it did not... I I honestly felt like the third one did not feel like a free movie. It felt like a movie that was trying to be a free movie. It just... Yeah, well... And we'll talk about that later on uh, when we wrap up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Amber, how did you feel? Because, like I said, this is your favorite horror, horror genre. Um, how did you feel when you first when you heard the announcement and seen the first trailer? I mean, I always always get excited when there's a new Scream movie coming out, but I've been burnt too many times on bad sequels of movies. Um, but I mean, I always get excited. Um, I want the, I always want the original three people in the movies. So I was happy to see all of those. Um, even though my heart's kind of broke a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was excited, but apprehensive because, you know, there's always that element of, is it going to be any good or not? And Wes Craven's no longer with us. So I didn't know if it was going to be good at all. Yeah, now, Alexa point out uh, something that, you know, me and her are very familiar with because we do a lot of the, the horror movie um, Damn You Hollywoods here on the uh, Rileyger Broadcasting Network, part of the W2M Network, and that's the requel. Uh, we we have an ongoing joke, uh, me, her, and Robert, about the time we uh, discussed um, Pet Cemetery and ended up talking about a much better movie uh, for longer than we actually talked about the movie. So, with that being yeah. said... I was going to say, normally uh, this is the part where I say plug, plug, but the fact is, folks, the new Pet Cemetery is one of the most boring horror movies I think we have seen in a long time. Yeah, and we're going to transition into... You we're going to use that to transition in, because, like I said, me and you have covered some... Some less than stellar uh, reboots. Uh, we've seen some less than stellar reboots that have tried to tie to the original. Um, just to name a few: the new Pet Cemetery, the new Child's Play. Uh, what else have you seen that kind of falls into the this genre? Um, the new I mean, it. The, the new it. Well, the new it was was fairly 
well done. Uh, I'm just. Uh, oh, I thought but, you just. I thought you were just talking about the the style in general. I didn't know we were actually discussing good versus bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, see, that's the thing is that we all liked it chapter one, but we kind of agreed. It, it's yeah, pretty lackluster. Right, and uh, I never seen the original yet. So my introduction, as I stated back then, my introduction was you know this this um, reimagination of of it. So. But yeah, like you said, I mean, um, it it part uh, part one to the remake of it versus part two, vastly contrary in style and quality. So going into this, uh, we're going to talk about some of the the main characters. We're going to start with the main three because anybody in the screen franchise knows the main three and how close and near and dear they are. Hearts. So we had returning Nev Campbell as Sidney Prescott, uh, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. So, being, seeing that they, the big three, I guess you could say, the, the the holy trinity of Scream was returning to this, it did have me excited. Now, we're going to talk about this, and we're, we're going to let Amber take the reins here shortly when we talk about Dewey. But um, when I seen this, Knowing that they came back, I was hesitant because a lot of times in a lot of movies, you drag out the old characters for nostalgia value and the movie falls short and they do it for a payday. This, I feel, was not the case. So I want uh, Alexis. So. Sydney through the movies, um, you know, she is one. She became you know, our generation's final girl. Um, you know, a lot of people had Jamie Lee Curtis, the generation before us, you know, had Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, we, we had, we had Sydney Prescott. So talk a little bit about that, about her being our generation's, um, go to final girl, because when you mention horror movies, final girls, this is, this is one that, pops up in some of the greats. I would agree. Uh, Nev Campbell, first of all, always a wonderful actress, and it was great to see her back. Uh, I hate to say it, I think uh, when I heard all three of them were coming back originally, I said, well, yeah, I mean, Lord knows that none of them have actually done anything that great, <laughs> who knows how long. And unfortunately, there is some truth to that. I think uh, Courtney Cox is the only one who actually has any bragging rights of doing anything lately. And it's like, yeah, that was a friend's reunion. Uh, I mean, Hey, I David, was... David Arquette, uh, you know, he almost died in a wrestling ring once. So check that off your bingo bot bingo card. But again, you know, it, like I said, none of them have really done anything recently. And I guess part of me was a little apprehensive about seeing them again, even though Neff Campbell was always so great in the 90s and early 2000s. She did so many wonderful movies. The idea of these actors coming back and it's like, well, you guys haven't been on screen in ages. Are you still that good? We've seen a lot of cases of actors being, you know, they take so long. They they take so long and then they try to come back to a character they haven't played in years and it's just like wow you do not remember what you were doing with this character do you but it, it feels like Nev Campbell all three of them have not missed a step when Sidney Prescott shows up on screen 
uh, for the first time and answers her phone, it feels like she is, Sydney Prescott has never left us. Yeah, the way she answered, I love the way she, apparently, uh, Neff Campbell suggested the line, I'm Sydney fucking Prescott, I always have a gun, or of course I have a gun. Which was really great, and it felt so natural for her character. I also like that they, again, while I didn't like uh, Scream 3, I'm glad that they did manage to push her character a little bit more. We don't have to get a super amount of exposition of what she's been up to, but we do see that she has continued to grow. We see that she's married. Uh, from what I can tell, she's married to, oh God, what was that actor's name? The, uh, played Patrick the, Dempsey. Yeah, played the detective in Scream 3. I guess she married him, and they have kids. Yeah, that's what it's alluded to in this one. Yeah, they say he says, like, how's Mark? And there was no other Mark in the series. We're assuming that was him. Uh, sure, we, we assume it's not Radlich. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was really great to have her back. You know, we, we love we do love seeing our final girls come back and really just stand on their own. It really, especially after we got those new Halloween movies, and whether you like them or not, it was <laughs> so terrific seeing Jamie Lee Curtis step back into the role of Lori, and that has set a huge precedent for final girls to come back after all this time. Yeah, but they yeah. made her very, 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 very damaged. I like Sydney Prescott because she's a badass. She always really has been. I mean, she did have, in three, she was kind of more set back, but she is a badass. And so is Gail and, you know, Dewey's the heart. So I like it better this way with her, you know, yes, she's had a, she's been dealt a crappy hand this whole time, but she's managed to get over it and, you know, actually make a life for herself and not dwell on it like um, Jamie Lee Curtis's character has in the new Halloweens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we, basically watched her grow up in front of our eyes through these movies. Um, and that's what, I think that's what a lot of the heart that people have to the character is because we watched her go from a high school kid to being in college to um, progressing up beyond that, then having to celebrate in the, and you know, some people's least favorite, uh, for coming back to basically uh, deal with a the celebration of the anniversary to this to finding herself and grounding herself and being the being basically a a throwback to Randy um, pointing out you know what what needs to be done what what's going to be done and being the the final. Um, nail into her her and Gail's uh, I guess the the final goodbye to her and Gail's character uh, which is to be determined but it closes their their arc uh, I think they they do a really good job closing up their arc now Gail Weathers Courtney Cox uh, was probably one of my least favorite characters in the beginning of this franchise uh, because I don't know if it was how well she was written or or what? Uh, but the first screen movie, she was not a very likable character. But I think she had one of the best arcs uh, throughout the franchise because she she went from money hungry, 
you know, trying to cash in, trying to do this, and being a kind of frenemy and an antagonist to Sydney, um, because she, you know, was bringing up the past of, you know, Sydney's um, mother, Maureen Prescott. Yes. Um, and trying to cash in and make make money off of it. But then you see see the heart. Uh, she, her and Dewey forge this relationship together um, that we see in this movie has soured. Uh, you kind of get a closure to that, that things were left up in the air in four. And you kind of get a closure to that, which a lot of people were not happy with um, and kind of foreshadowed uh, what happens to Dewey. But I, I, I kind of like Gail in this movie a lot more than any of the previous ones. So, Amber, I'll let you talk about Gail first. What was your feeling about Gail throughout the throughout the the adventure of the the uh, series? Well, I mean, at first she was a pain in the a. Um, I know she's you all can about cuss. money and fame. Wow. She's, yeah, she's a pain in the ass. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just got to say, the minute you said I'm like, oh, God, was I not supposed to curse earlier? <laughs> um, she was a pain in the butt. And um, <laughs> she kind of redeems herself towards the end because she kind of kind of saves, saves everybody, technically. Um, and then as the movies go on, she gets a little bit more in-depth. I think at first she was very... Uh, surface I guess I don't know if that's the right word she didn't really have a lot of depth she was all about the story as most reporters are um but as she grew up through the series as she um became a little bit more you know heart and stuff and uh probably about by the end of the second one she becomes more um focused on the people and less on you know making a buck so I mean I I I have one issue with the way things ended. If that's the ending for Gail, I have you know issues with the way that ended. We'll talk liked, about that shortly. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen them be actually be together, and not you know. Yeah, right. sorry, Amber, but your husband did spoil your reaction to a certain character. His death. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about that shortly. So, Alexis, what what's your feelings about Gail in the franchise? It's kind of interesting because when you think about it, Gail was actually the catalyst that started uh, almost the entire franchise. She was the one who wrote the book that glamorized uh, Maureen Prescott's murder, which led to uh, Billy Loomis and Stu uh, Mocker committing their crimes and that she is the one who wrote the second book on the Woodsboro murders that led to the movie franchise stab being created. And I love how at the end, you know, that they, they do allude to her writing. She had clearly hasn't written a book in a while. And I do like the end where she realizes that if she keeps writing these books, she's glamorizing the event. And she's ter- it, it's a moment where she comes to the realization if she writes another book about these killers, She's going to start this all over again. And I think they're all of us were going, yes, please, no more sequels. You know, I'm sorry, this was a good way to end the, the, the franchise. It really was. 
But yeah, I love I, and I do love that she says, I'm not writing about this. These these killers need to, you know, ha- stay in anonymity. That she, I, I love that realization that it comes full circle, that it was her book, her writing, that started all of this. Yeah, and you know what would have helped with her writing? Grammarly. Oh, absolutely. For you listeners of the W2M Network... Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you can write on the web. Grammarly corrects a hundred of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com forward slash W2N network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash W2 network to download Grammarly for free for a free 30 day trial of, okay, that's, that's that. Uh, so that was, you know, more. All right. So moving on, we're going to talk about, um, my wife's favorite character and I'm going to give her complete control over this. And we're going to talk about Officer Dewey, which I pointed out something, and um, I actually forgot that Dewey, for some reason, I was I got Scary Movie and Scream mixed up, and was thinking that Sydney and Dewey were brother and sister, but Dewey was actually the sister uh, brother of Tate, who um, dies in the first one. A, yeah, a I, I was going to say before. Yeah, Amber, before you take over, let's just point out how great it was, because frankly, that was an oversight that many fans complained about, that Rose McGowan's character of Tatum really got swept under the rug and never brought up. It's like, dude, your sister was killed, okay? You think this is going to come up a little bit more often? So seeing the box of her ashes in his trailer was a really nice way to say, it's like, no, she is still a major figure in his life, even though she's gone. So thank you, writers, for finally giving... (laughs) on that yeah and like i said i mean it was something that even you know me being the aficionado that i am uh, i kind of forgot about so that little callback in the trailer was really nice to bring her up and let us uh know how important that she still was in dewey's life because after the first one it's kind of like a lot of people like you said kind of brush her aside and forgot that she was even in the franchise. And we'll go over a few things here here shortly. But, Amber, the floor is yours. Talk about your your love for Dewey. I mean, I don't really, you know, know all to say. But, I mean, he was a very, he wasn't a very large character in the first one. Um, but as the movies went on, he kind of became the the heart of, he's the one that brought everybody together. You know, he's the one that was trying to protect everybody. So, you know, and even down to the last time, you know, the last little bit, he was trying to protect everybody. So, you know, out of all of the characters, he was kind of, you know, that protectant, almost kind of like the dad of the group. Um, And I understand it. And I called it. As soon as he opened that box and pulled out his um, gun and his badge, and I called it. I think I even turned around 
and looked at you and said, Dewey's going to die <laughs> because I just felt it. Um, so it did, it did break my heart. I don't know if I could watch another movie without him. <laughs> well, remember, uh, Dewey was supposed to die in the first movie. Uh, he was supposed to die from that stab in the back. It was a last minute change. They're like, eh, you know, let him survive. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I hate to say it, his death was incredibly gruesome, and I, not to, okay, how do I put this? He got the uh, Mace Windu treatment. Yeah, um, this is this is my thing with Dewey. Um, I knew something was going to happen. Uh, as soon as he turns back, and I, I seen that he didn't, and I even said this to Amber, I said, He's got a gun. Why is he walking up for close range to put a bullet in the head to do the to do the uh, proverbial headshot? He he's can he's got a weapon that can shoot a projectile. He doesn't need to walk up. Uh, and the fact that you know he didn't go to remove the mask, so that kind of foreshadowed everything. And you know, going back to our our love of Randy, um, you know, as soon as those doors, as soon as he says, "I've got to finish this." You knew his his demise was written. So it was, and Amber, I'm going to tell everybody. Um, it, it was so it was so close to Amber. Uh, I look over and she's crying because she is a huge Dewey fan. It's probably her favorite character in the franchise because he is just that lovable kind of lovable guy that um, is very selfless when trying to protect people. So, um, he did get that gruesome death. I mean, I, I like the fact that he did get a, a hero's death, but, you know, it brought in a horror trope um, that we knew what was going to uh, happen. And what's funny is Dewey called the, called the, the twist that we're going to talk about with it, you know, right at the beginning of the movie. So, uh, anything else we got to say about Dewey? Like I said, he, he got the Mace Windu treatment for his death. He does not go, his death is meaningful, it is powerful, it is well done, it is gruesome. I didn't cry, but I clasped my hand over my mouth like, whoa, okay, it, it shocks you. Even though, yeah, we all knew it was going to happen, it is still a very powerful moment. Even to have the killer whisper in his ear as he dies, it's an honor. That, that was terrifying. Yeah, and and that's that's what's and then when you think about uh, who it was that actually killed him, uh, which we're going to get into the the main cast here of the movie. So I just wanted some general thoughts. What was Alexa? We'll start with you. What was your overall take of this new new thing? Uh, first of all, I'm glad they're back to the two killers thing. Uh, sorry, going back to Scream 3, that was one of my biggest issues with that movie was that it made no sense that it was only one killer. The way that they've done the kills, it always makes sense that it, it's two people working in tandem. The idea of having just one killer pulling off everything's like, uh, no, 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 no. And, you know, I rarely repeat myself, no. So I'm glad we got back to that. And it's kind of weird to say this is. The, okay, the, what these killers end up blaming, you know, this isn't a revenge, this, you know, or anything. This isn't going back to, it's like, you know, it's all back to Maureen Prescott or anything. This is their argument that it's the toxic 
fandom that drove them to this is something that I'm not going to lie. When I saw it, first of all, I saw it in theaters, the, the minute it hit my ears, I was like, oh, are you kidding me? We're going with this. But when you walk out and you think about it a little more, it, it, it hits you a little bit more about the toxic fandom. And you don't side with the killers. You don't agree with them. But you start to think more and more about how the fandom... You know, we have done several podcasts on this network talking about toxic fandoms, talking about how the fans have just gone absolutely nuts over projects. We did a Screaming Boy uh, podcast <laughs> ages ago, which I still remember because Eddie kept interrupting it with his squeaky toy, to which somebody said, is a clown getting massacred? <laughs> you know, uh, we, we talked about this with the Snyder Cut. We've talked about this with so many movies. The idea of the fans just being the final say over whether something is good or bad and bullying so many people for disagreeing with them. I'm actually seeing a lot of it now. Uh, the movie Eternals just came out on Disney+, Plus, so a lot of people were seeing it for the first time. And I'm in several groups that focus on the MCU, and a lot of them are going berserk. They're just like, how dare you hate the Eternals? This movie is wonderful. And it's just so ugly to see these fans get so riled up over this kind of thing. It's like, it's a movie, guys. Yes, it's a movie. But again, you listen to what the killers talk about, the idea that for them, it's not a movie. I mean, it is a movie. It's not just a movie. It's a huge part of their childhood. Again, we're all horror fans. And you think back to that first horror movie, that really connected with you. Maybe it was the first one you saw when you snuck, again, you snuck out of bed late at night without your parents knowing you were going to stay up and watch a scary movie. Maybe it was your first R-rated movie that you got to go see when you finally turned of age. You know, we all have those, those fandoms that they're not just little movies for us. They are huge parts of our per that for of our childhood that we grew up on and kind of formed our personalities around. So yeah, and, and you know, just so anybody that listens to this can relate to, uh, we have some somebody that's part of the RIB that I could see going off the deep end on this if they ever made remade like Rocky or or um, you know. Iron Eagle or any '80s classic, and, and we love we love Pat we love Pat, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm sure that you know this this is right up his alley that that if somebody remade Iron Eagle, Pat Mullen would snap and go on a murderous killing spree. Though we love Pat. Yeah, sorry if they ever remake one of those, we're gonna be like, so Pat made the front page. Let me guess, the words clock tower and uh, you know sniper rifle were involved. <laughs> Exactly, uh, but we love Pat. So there, there's Pat, nothing but love for totally '80s Pat. You guys can take over for the next trivia when he participates. I'm probably gonna have to. <laughs> okay, folks. I, sorry, Pat and I disagree on uh, so many things that we tend to just. It's one of those things. Like, okay, you know, maybe I should just go in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, no. Again, we, there's so many things that just become the concrete basis of our identity that we identify with that we don't want to see get totally screwed up. And I do like that this movie does a little bit of explaining that without going too over-explanatory. We get that scene of Richie watching 
Uh, These are actually two real YouTubers, by the way. They actually called in a couple. And I love it. A couple who um, do discuss horror movies. And credit that a lot of films are actually doing that. Uh, we had, you know, we had Free Guy that actually brought in Jack Septicai, among others, and we see that they, the, 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 in the news, it's what Stab Eight. He's got yeah. a, a metallic mask like Jason X, and he's, his arms are uncovered and all beefy, and he's using a flamethrower. And let's face it, if we were being just told flat out that there was another screen movie with no context, our minds would probably go to something like that. Yeah, and a lot of people did because they included a lot of that, a couple of frames of that in the trailer to throw fans off, and they thought that the new, the new ghost face um, was going to have the metallic mask, and it was who's behind the metallic mask. And I've seen a lot of trailer breakdowns uh, referencing this, trying to figure it out, and which has since been retconned um, for being duped into that being an actual killer. Yeah, well, Scream has always been good at throwing people because, you know, the whole Drew Barrymore in the first movie was, you know, they the whole entire time that movie was being made and advertised, they made her out to be the main character and she dies in the first five minutes of the movie. So, I mean, they've always, Scream's always been good at um, duping you and, 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 you know, throwing stuff out there to, you know, kind of hide the real story. Hell, I'm but pretty I, sure most of us, when we saw the trailers and we saw the character of Tara and then she opens the movie, I'm, at least 90% of us were all like, and she did. Yeah, and, um, but also on the flip side of that, and this this goes to the the writing and the the direction of this movie. Screams also letting you know the killer's right in your face without giving it away too much. Now, Amber, uh, we're going to get into a little bit here. So, um, Amber, what did you think about the movie overall? I liked it. It was good. Um, <laughs> not my favorite. <laughs> Out of all of them. Um, but I liked what they did. I felt like they, you know, a lot of fan service. It wasn't just another sequel. It wasn't just, you know, a remake. It wasn't, you know, they held true to what Russ Craven created and added to it. Um, I liked it. I wish the Dewey had died. I'd preferred Sydney had died, to be honest. <laughs> Besides him, but... I mean, I liked it. It was good. Um, I call. I I kind of caught the killer in the first probably twenty minutes, um, and we'll talk about that later. I kind of noticed something, and I kind of think it must have been like a foreshadowing. Um, but I mean, you know, Dewey calling it right there—that was funny. I liked it. It was good. So yeah, so let's let's get into the meat and potatoes. So the the movie opens up just like all just like the original. Uh, you see a teenager at home. Uh, it's Jenna Ortega. Uh, Tara answers the phone, which I pointed out, and I had to make the joke. Who has a damn lamb landline in twenty twenty two? 
Oh um, my God, I was thinking the same thing. It's just, I mean, yeah, I love that she's on her cell phone and she's like the damn landline will ring, but I'm just there and going, well, why do your parents have a landline? Yeah, so so I was waiting for her mom to be like 80 years old. Um, but but you see, the, and this, you see her, she gets a call from Ghostface, which, really interesting fact, did you guys know that the, the Ghostface was not coined until Scream 4 when it was the only other time that it's mentioned as Ghostface is in the first one when it said, um, <laughs> don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. The killer is never mentioned as Ghostface again uh, or as anything like such as Ghostface that we've come to know, know it as until the the fourth screen movie, which is the internet screen movie. Exactly. Uh, uh, I believe production actually had titled him Father Death. I think that was the official term they were using. And yeah, the fandom did not uh, grab onto that. Yeah. So, so she gets a call, you know, and it, I, I really like this because one, it was a call back to the original um, when, uh, with that death, but it was very, very interesting how they used the technology because uh, they used the security system. They kept unlocking the doors, um, which was really cool and really interesting. But And this is also the first time that the opening girl survived. Um, so we, we see her get attacked. She actually lives through it because she actually is a little badass. Um, and somehow survives. So she's in the hospital. They well, reach out I, to the I sister. Think, I think when you find out later who the killer is, I'm like ninety percent certain yeah. she didn't kill her on purpose. Side note: uh, credit to Roger L. Jackson, who has uh, been the voice of Ghostface uh, since the movie started. Did you guys realize that this is actually the same voice actor who does Mojo Jojo on the Powerpuff Girls? Yes. Role? Yes, uh, I, I I found that out. I think it was back back when Screen Four came out. I think I came across that, uh, which is really interesting. So, but we have Tara that is she's laid up in the hospital, um, and they call her a strange sister who basically turned eighteen and and noped the fuck out of Woodsboro, um, and and they're they don't have the best relationship, but. Due to her sister being attacked, they they let her know because her mother's. Uh, I don't even think that they they said the mother was out of town, town but like we don't really get any um, knowledge think, of where her the mother is. I thought <laughs> they said she was in France. I heard London. Yeah, like I was like somewhere like overseas. Yeah, because I mean, leaving a going to. Going out of the country and leaving a 16-year-old behind to fend for themselves is really great parenting, let me tell you. Uh, well, but, pretty much all we get out of that is that, yeah, she's out of the country, which is the only explanation why she doesn't come back. Because it's like, I'm sorry, if that's the only, if you no, if you were still in the country, I think you would have caught the first flight and gotten home. International flights, yeah, that can be a bit of a pain. And we do get a little bit that she clearly has some uh, problems 
Because Ghostface first calls saying she's from group, and Tara's like, oh, really? What's mom in now? Alcohol Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. So you get this feeling that her mother has had some uh, pretty, had a very interesting life, for lack of better words. (laughs) Yes. So we see her sister, Sam, and boyfriend, Richie, uh, outside of Bowen Alley. um, And you see Sam taking some medications, which comes in really, a really interesting twist. Uh, and they call her, they tell her, uh, her best friend, um, gives Sam a call, um, lets her know of the attack. They come in, you know, and Richie's stating that he's never seen any of the stab movies and he's really downplaying it, um, which was kind of interesting. Now, and Amber, I'm going to let you take over this because in the hospital, you said you noticed something and I'm going to see if Alex, I didn't notice it. I'm going to see if Alexa did. Um, so, uh, I, I want to see, I want you to say what you noticed in the hospital scene when, when Sam arrives and you got the group of friends, which we're going to be talking about shortly, all huddled around, all huddled around her, uh, and checking on Tara's well-being. Um, in that scene, Amber, of course, the crazy person is going to be Amber, but, um, she kind of moves her, you notice she's got a jacket on with a kind of a little bit of a collar. At one point, that jacket V-neck kind of moves over and there's a red bruise, I want to say, on her right collarbone. And I saw it and thought, well, that's weird. But got distracted I, by other things and never thought about it again until later on when I said I realized what I had seen. I did not notice that. I mean, we get the scene where she points out, um, oh, God, what's the other dude's uh, name? Hang on a second. Wes. Chad. No, she notices Chad's bruises. Uh, but as he points out, he's like, uh, I'm in football. I get tackled. I have bruises from practice. So, yeah, it's when she's, it's kind of like when she's pointing that out on him. Well, no, it's, it's, it's right when she's standing beside her, like, and she's standing up. And I just kind of noticed there was a small red bruise, like right around her collarbone. I'm trying to see if I can find a picture. Um, Yeah. And what's, what's interesting about this is because, again, another callback to, a lot of tropes and the original, you see the group of friends um, who we come to find out. You have the twins, uh, Chad and um, Mindy, who are who are the niece and nephew of the most beloved character in screen franchise history, Jamie Kennedy as Randy. Um, you have um, yeah, Amber wasn't fun. Amber wasn't attached to anybody. Wes was is uh, Deputy Judy Hicks, which becomes sheriff is sheriff in this, which we all remember from Scream Four. Yeah. Was it was she introduced in three? Four. Okay, well, so it doesn't take place in Woodsboro. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I didn't know if it was like if there was like a uh, a small scene that introduced her. So she was from Scream Four, and you kind of learn. That everybody has a connection to somebody uh, from Wordsboro's past. Most notably, 
And the big reveal is Sam, who we kind of find out is Billy Loomis's illegitimate daughter who was conceived um, in secret uh, during the high school years of his, her mother, uh, who had a thing with Billy uh, and why he cheated on Sydney with someone. Uh, and she was conceived, and she's taking this antipsychotic medicine because, lo and behold, she's having visions of Billy uh, randomly, which there's something I have to say about that when it comes to the end of the movie. But you, as the story progresses, you see all the children of this movie, and uh, all but Amber, I think, has a tie to somebody from the screen franchise lore. Well, it makes sense because Woodsboro is a small town. They even reference that later in the movie. And when you live in a small town like that, it's very common. It's like, oh, that person, what was the line from the Sleepy Hollow movie? It's like, there's barely a person who is not related to someone else in this town through either, you know, blood or marriage. So... And for the record, credit to the uh, anti or to the reverse aging special effects. Uh, that is Skeet Ulrich uh, reprising his role, and I've been seeing him on Riverdale, and he has aged very well. But they did a very good job making yeah, him look, he look just like. He yeah, he looked just like he did back then. Yeah, yeah and credit to and, that. And another surprise we have, I can't remember the character's name. He he's noticed they they put him in as a red herring toward the beginning of the movie. He's the creepy guy that is kind of like hanging around that had a summer fling with um, with Liv, um, and they kind of they're kind of making him seem like this really sleazy scumball, which you find out is actually the nephew of Stu, uh, who when he gets killed, and when he gets killed, you know what's playing, Alexis. The song that they used in all, in the three previous movies, the iconic song of Scream, Red Right Hand. And you know where you can find that? Oh, do tell, do tell. I'm not that good at acting. About that. <laughs> so here at the W2M Network, you can enjoy a 30-day free trial of Amazon Music Unlimited. Head over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash W2M Network. Make sure you complete the sign-up process and enjoy 30 days free of Amazon Music with us. So you can download the, the Scream 1 soundtrack, your favorite podcast, or any kind of music you like to listen to. You can have free day, free 30-day trial on us here at the W2M Network. So it's 50. So but when we see him get killed, uh, you know, they they use the iconic song, and it's it's kind of I think this one was kind of forced. This kill was kind of forced, just to kind of have the the tie into stew. So, uh, so out of the new cast, who was your favorite? It was also a I'm just gonna admit a rather uh, shameless cameo from somebody who had started another. Wes Craven, requel, remake, whatever. Kyle Gallagher, who was in the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, remake. I was not aware of that. So, yeah. Um, so, 
out of the new characters, um, how did you feel feel about the the reveal of this Bill being uh, Billy's daughter, Amber? I liked it. I thought it was a different way to go. Um, it kind of threw me. I didn't expect it. Um, it was a surprise. I kind of got it when she started seeing him. I realized. I kind of figured out that's what it was. But, I mean, I was really surprised. It was a different way to throw it in there. Um, I think you were guessing it was the sisters because you kept on going, they're his sisters, they're his sisters. And I'm thinking, well, she's not, that's not the right age. Because, <laughs> you know, Nev Cable and them are probably about 10 years older than us. So, Well, I mean, my brother's seven, seven and a half years older than me. So, you know, it's possible. It's possible, um, but, yeah, I like probable. that they, that they, um, I like that it was a little different than, and I like that she was related to the killers, one of the killers instead of um, Sydney. Yes, I did like that aspect. Or one of the victims. Yeah, I did like that aspect. Now, Alexis, uh, how did you feel about all the the tie-ins to previous characters mixed with the new characters? Well, like I said, it makes sense if for a small town like Woodsboro. I thought it was a decent way to connect it. Although, yes, I will admit Vince's character was pretty much a, a very pointless kill. As well done as it was with the music starting and he thinks someone's in his car and he goes in and no one's in there. But yes, somebody had to have been in there long enough to rev the freaking engine. Uh, that was well done. I am going to say, though, you guys do realize that as cool as it is that uh, Sam is Billy Loomis's daughter, that means that uh, the time they say it's 25 years almost to the day. That timeline doesn't make sense. No. That means that um, Tara would have to be at least 19, yet still in high school. Yeah, so I, that's, why I, that's why I lean toward the, the sister aspect, because, you know, typically... They was, uh, they were seniors in high school in the first scream, so you know, you could actually see that the mother may have, may have had a, you know, tried to hide her identity, went into like some kind of uh, seclusion, tried to change her identity, and had a second family. That that's why I wanted to go to the sisters because. You know, the sister did not have to be conceived at that time because the first sister could have been and then the youngest sister could have been like a half sister. Uh, so I love the I love the tie ins because it, it gives you it, Mark. Mark put it the best. It was a very nice love letter to the fans because you had all the nostalgia value with all new twists and turns that kept kept the hardcore fans of the franchise. Um entrenched by pulling on the heartstrings with the the original trinity so that's what i did like about this movie so who who was your favorite character out of out of the new cast alexis we'll start with you believe it or not it's actually probably mindy see i've had this i'm with you guys that randy meeks is probably one of the best characters to come out of this franchise 
especially since his death in the second movie was so out of left field and so shocking. We did not see it coming and we did not want it to happen. And I felt that that was also one of the problems with Scream 4 is that they tried to make so many characters into many meeks, for lack of better terms. Right. It just didn't set. And at first, I thought that, okay, so they're uh, Randy's niece and nephew. Side note, I'm convinced they're adopted because I refuse to believe Martha and, uh, slept with someone to produce children that good looking. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, they, they, say, they say ugly people make beautiful babies. Well, there's that. Um, but And I was worried at first that this was going to come across too forced, but this actress who plays Mindy really captures the same spirit. There's a scene in this movie where she is literally going through the exact same scene that Randy did in the first movie when he's shouting, Jamie, look behind you, and Ghostface is behind him. And she's yelling at the, the movie, going, why aren't you looking behind you? And I swear, I was expecting this scene to feel forced and contrived and just so unbelievably stupid but it works. It really works. And I credit a lot of that to the likability of this actress and just how well she is able to play the character. She is able to capture that same amount of I'm the movie expert. I know what I'm going on geekiness without a feeling like she's a mini Meeks. And I liked it. All right, Amber, who was your favorite character out of the new cast? Hmm. I would have to agree with Alexis. Um, I did like the little blonde-headed guy, but he got killed. <laughs> I kind of uh, felt like he got Wes? pushed to the side, yeah. Oh, um, shit. Actually, bringing that up, can we talk for a second about the double tribute they did to Wes Craven in this movie? Yeah, we're going to touch on it. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But... <laughs> oh, no, I'm done. Okay. I just... I, I, other than her, it would probably be him as well. And I kind of felt like he got kind of pushed ahead because his mom was that sheriff who played the deputy in the fourth one. And they said, you know, they kind of threw it. Well, you're all fine because, you know, she's in a sequel. And then they ended up being the next people killed. So, so Yeah, see, I'm going to go a different route. Uh, I th- I, and I think this is cause of I liked her in another project she does. I actually like Tara um, because she was like just so resilient, like Sydney was in the original. Like she was just kept, just kept persevering through um, and trying to, and, and was one of the final girls. I mean, she does put that that bullet in Amber's head um, for the final kill because you always have to have that last jump scare. Um, and, you know, her shooting that, firing that around into Amber's head as she comes screaming as a bubbling goo. We're going to talk about that shortly, too. Um, out of out of the kitchen, and she gets that final shot. So I, I liked her simply because of the resilience. Because she was the, she was, started the movie off, she was basically crippled. She was in the hospital. She overcame the attack in the hospital. They go to the house, which we're going to talk about uh, when we talk about Amber a little bit. But it, it, it was one of those things that I I enjoyed her because of her resilience and how she was written as being 
basically the new Cindy for the resilience because basically they took her and her sister. Uh, they took Sydney and split them into two characters between her and her sister. The resilient side being her, the wannabe final girl, um, everything must happen to me, I'm naive, uh, into her sister, uh, like Sydney was in the first movie. So I want your guys' take on the, 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 the quote-unquote big reveal. Uh, did it fall flat for you guys as it did for me? Alexis, we'll start with you. A little bit, but I think that's just because Amber plays it a little on the goofy side when she reveals. She runs in screaming, thinking, or trying to play up that Sam has stabbed Mindy, and then Liv comes in, and I'm not, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. They keep saying, Liv, you're too boring to be the killer. She is. She is the character that left the slowest impression on me in this whole movie. <laughs> she was very dull. Um, and the, and she's like, no, I'm not the killer. And Amber goes, I know you're not. But then, then she pulls the gun. And then they do the same thing with her trying to shoot Gail and Sydney outside. Yeah. And it's just, it, it, it's just a little too over the top for me for this character. You know, I understand her motive. I mean, I don't understand her motive. I get what where they were going with the motive, and I liked it. But I don't know. I just kind of feel like they should have played her a little bit more straight instead of just so over the top kind of a thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I think they tried to um, they tried to make her. Stoop. She's very, 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 very psychotic. Like, yeah, I mean, crazy. most Amber's she's are almost too crazy. Like, I don't think she caught that joke, Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, they she was way too over the top. Now, if they would have done that, because I mean, you have the the holy shit moment for me is when she shot Liv. Um, that caught me completely off guard, and I literally said, holy fuck, uh, in the theater. Because, you know, it was just such a, a on the 180 turn that she went from complaining to, you know, she's just going, she just blows a hole in the back of Liv's head. And, which is really cool in an aspect, but then uh, the convenience is what got me, because... They played it as, uh, and be so, and they played it as um, she she was had taken over and moved into the house that Stew had, which is the original house um, from the from the first screen, um, and she became obsessed with that. And we then they go on to the toxic fandom, and they she finds Richie on a stab message board, and they concoct this plan that he's going to seduce the sister, get in a relationship, bring them back to uh, Woodsboro, and they're going to rewrite everything and give new material so the stab franchise can be better, which I I felt too contrived. Um, and then you give her the over-the-top, 
when Gail and Sydney arrive, she runs out acting like she's stabbed. And then, like, immediately she just turns and starts shooting when she uh, hits Gail. And then we have the big reveal in the fight in the kitchen where she gets, um, you know, some nice good vodka smashing her face that soaks her clothes in alcohol and conveniently oh, lands on the stove. That was hand sanitizer. Was it? I thought it was vodka. Uh, it was a glass that. bottle. Yeah, I know what she says. What is this hand sanitizer? She actually shouts that. Uh, I thought it was a bottle. I thought it was a bottle of vodka. vodka too. So, and then like she she hits the stove, turns the gas on, it ignites. She goes up in a blaze of glory, as if she was Kobe Bryant, and um, did like somehow she extinguished herself. And then you have the bigger. I think it was too too comedic of her death. I think if they would have just had her die at the hands of Gail. Because when you come to find out that is who killed Dewey in the hospital because uh, Richie is actually attacked in the hospital because he magically shows up in, in the hospital and gets attacked by Ghostface. So with that being said, we, we went over our likes and dislikes. So Alexis, you know, as, as one of the horror aficionados, I want you, because... Um, you're a Wes Craven fan. I want you to talk about the the homages that we've seen in this uh, with the character of Wes and what else they've done. Yeah, I hate to say it that it didn't dawn on me the first homage to Wes Craven until I walked out of the theater. So the character, who is named Wes, is killed. And again, I don't think any of us saw that coming. I think we assumed that his mother, the sheriff, was going to die and he would be let off scot-free. But no, he, the, the killer comes back and kills him, too, in an unbelievably uncomfortable death scene. Yeah, right through the cheek. Like, yeah. no, like right through the jugular on the side of his throat. Yeah, that, oh my god, that was messed So, the characters decide to have a memorial for him, which ends up turning into a uh, full-blown party with lots of drinks, because they're teenagers. And you get this scene of there's a sign hanging that says for Wes and they and uh, the character Chad raises his shot and shouts for Wes and everyone shouts for Wes. And again, you don't realize until later that that was the first homage to Wes Craven. So that was really well done. And a nice little touch. I didn't catch this. I had to check this on IMDb. But when they flash at the end for Wes, you can hear birds um, tweeting in the background. And that is actually because, in addition to being an iconic film director, Wes Craven was a uh, bird-watching enthusiast. Did not know that. I didn't know that either. I thought that was a nice uh, little touch. So, okay, so we went over this. Uh, and can we all agree that Richie just did not give off the, the murderistic vibe, the... the the he did not have he's probably one of my least favorite uh, ghost face of the franchise. So and we're going to talk about that as we wrap up. So why did we hate Richie, and why did he not fit as a ghost face in everybody's opinion? Amber, we'll let you start this one. Uh, he kind of, 
he played very, he's very, I almost felt like he played dumb too well. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, he was very dumb. Like, he didn't seem like he was smart enough. I feel like Amber probably was the one who pulled all the the smarts. I don't, um, he didn't really have a whole lot of, his his reasoning for being involved in it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I don't, I don't buy it as much, I guess. So you're saying that he was the, he was the brawn when Amber was the brains, but sad part about it was he had no brawn. Uh, yeah. So uh, Alexis, do, do you think that he was a good ghost face or do you, cause uh, to me, he just felt like a, a character that could have been omitted from this movie and you would have still had pretty much the same movie. I think the problem was that, well, first of all, I love Jack Quaid. He's a great actor. Love him on The Boys. He's really good on there. The problem is that he's a very funny actor, and they gave him some really hysterical lines. He had some of the, he's got a very good dry wit. I love the bit right before the final kill scenes when he's getting all the kids out of the house. He's like, hi, Gen Z here, saving your life, saving your life. Yeah, I know you hate me, saving your life. Goodbye, saving your life. You know, saying stuff like that. And I'm laughing. It's funny you know it's it's a very good it's a very funny moment but it doesn't mesh well if that's the character who's the killer right you yes. know I, I think the problem was they couldn't decide it's like we i mean you have jack quaid who again has a very good dry wit style of humor and can do those lines very naturally you know credit being the offspring of uh dennis quaid and meg ryan because <laughs> he is but I feel like they just were basically saying, well, it doesn't make sense for the killer to act like this. But damn it, we just we have Jack Quaid in the role. and We don't want to short him doing these lines. It'd be like some like, I don't know, uh, Jim Carrey, I guess, playing his usual role and then suddenly going all serious and killer. It's like it, it doesn't mesh well. You look at the killers from the previous movies, and while I'm not a huge fan of Mickey as the killer in uh, Scream 2, because I thought his was just, a, he was just playing up the psycho role a little too much, even though I love Timmy Olyphant, he does play that role very well. But you could kind of see the blueprints of how the killers, be, you know, how, the, how they were hiding uh, the tendencies in plain sight. With Richie, you don't get that. It very much so comes off like he was just playing a completely different role. And it, we're not fans of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I take nothing from the actor. Like I said, like you just mentioned, I love him on The Boys. Uh, he plays great on it. He plays that role um, spectacular. I mean, it's when that's the reading the comics and you, you, uh, which I've done lately. You hear his voice. You want you close your eyes. You see him in that role. This is like they try to take Stu's humor and mix it, and just try to force in Billy psychoticism. Uh, so we um, we got that. And the only other thing that I hate about this movie is when he's uh, chasing her, and you see. <laughs> You see Billy, like, just pop up in a mirror and start pointing at a knife like like you're, it's a Easter egg in a Resident Evil um, thing. It's like, you know, a beacon to make sure that she sees the knife 
which I think she had a, a really good line when she once she does start stabbing him like a bajillion times. She said, "You don't fuck with a the daughter of a serial killer," um, and I think that that is what I like. So, but yeah, I, I think that you could have got a, a a more serious actor, I guess you could say, uh, to play the role and play up the crazy a little bit. But I think you fall into the, he's such a loved actor and he's got such a good comedic timing and wit to him that he doesn't play crazy well. Um, but yeah, you guys are right. It's like, it would be the same as if Stu's at the Stu's, the character of Stu suddenly started act when the killers were revealed, suddenly started acting like Billy. It doesn't. Okay. I'm sorry. But, okay, so wrapping up, we're going to go through, uh, I want to get your guys' take, and I want you to rank the screen, uh, all five screen movies. Alexa, I want you to go first. Where, where do you put the, uh, where do you put the original screen? Wait, did you call me Alexa? I said Alexis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, you did not, I did not say Alexa because my Alexa did not go off. Okay. Uh, what, you haven't learned from Mark's multiple mistakes and turn that thing off when you're talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a best friend named Alexa, and she does it. Alexa, just Alexa. She still comes off. Oh, my parents, yeah, my parents have to turn theirs off every time I come <laughs> over because they cannot call for me and have it go off every Christmas holiday. It's like, sweet Jesus, someone unplug that stupid thing because they can't talk to me otherwise. <laughs> So, where do you rank the original? The first one is always going to be the best for me. Again, I feel that that was one of the big iconic horror movies for my generation growing up. I'd say that one is probably the best. You know what? I'm honestly going to go ahead and put put in order of one, two, five, four, three. Okay. Amber? Uh, one, three... Two, five, and then four. See, uh, so we have the consensus the original is absolutely the best. Um, for a nostalgia value, for writing everything, I mean, that is the gold standard. Now, me, it goes one, five, four, two, three. Three is my absolute worst. I do not like three. I think three is not... I think it should be retconned out of existence, and me and Amber's had this discussion as as multiple times because she loves it. So, with that being said, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here. We're a little about the one hour, 15 minute mark. So, Alexis, go ahead and plug yourself. All right. Well, first, let's go ahead and do the uh, Rattledge and Broadcasting Network plugs. First of all, we're getting ready to record the next episode of Tripped Up Trivia. This month's theme is video games. This is to tie into the release of Uncharted, which is coming out here pretty soon. This is going to be fun because we normally have about three or four contestants for the uh, for the uh, each episode that we record. This one, we have at least six contestants. We had a lot of people come in and said they wanted to play on this one. 
really looking forward to it. So we'll be recording that soon. It will be debuting on the network at the end of the month. But of course, we're also going to be planning things out for the next few months. So if you are interested in playing for Tripped Up Trivia for February, the theme is going to be everything Batman related. Of course, this is tying into the upcoming new film with Robert Pattinson. Uh, Really excited about that. Uh, March's theme is going to be everything wrestling related. Uh, apparently, it's the time WrestleMania, and I say apparently because I am one of the few people on the network that doesn't follow wrestling. So <laughs> I was just told make it wrestling themed. So that's going to be interesting. We're going to have actually quite a few members of the Rattletoon Broadcasting Network playing for that round. And April's theme is going to be Wizards and Magic, tying into the upcoming release of of Moon Knight and the new Doctor Strange film. So again, we are covered for January's game, but if you want to test your knowledge of everything with the Dark Knight, the WWE, or witchcraft and sorcery related, as it relates to, I don't know, Harry Potter or Dungeons and Dragons or yes, Doctor Strange, hit us up on either Facebook or Twitter. Let us know that you want to play because we are always looking for new contestants. And now on to the plugs that actually keep my bills uh, paid. That's Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. We just wrapped up a wonderful holiday season with a great charity drive with a lot of money going to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So thanks to everyone who participated in that and came out to help. We always love hearing from you guys. We're in the middle of our down season right now, post-holidays, doing a lot of paperwork, getting things ready for the convention scene to start for 2022. We have a couple of shows that we're going to be doing for the first time this year though we're going to be heading to lexington kentucky for the lexington comic and toy show we are going to be heading to a small town in kansas for the official smallville comic con looking forward to that of course we will be doing playing a comic con here in the spring that's kansas city's home show we never miss that we're heading to our family's hometown of st louis as well for the fan expo show there uh, this one's a little interesting because it was previously the Wizard World St. Louis show, which we did for several years. Uh, Wizard World has apparently been bought out by Fan Expo, so same show, but new owners. We're going to see how things handle from there. And we're still waiting to hear from a couple of other shows, but it's going to be a very exciting convention year for us. And we're so excited for it to warm up and for us to get back on the road. Hint, hint, I don't like winter. As always, you can find everything in our shops on Etsy and Handmade at Amazon. We are fully stocked. We're going to be adding some more stuff before too long, because if I don't make something new at least once a month, I go stir-crazy. Our Etsy store, we just added a handful of new charm bracelets featuring Monopoly and Clue tokens. Those have always been very popular, and we love putting those up there. And we also have a brand new necklace featuring the Sheikah Slade from Breath of the Wild. So, hey, Legend of Zelda fans, if you are looking for something for your sweetheart for Valentine's Day and you need to find something loving and geeky, head on over to our Etsy and Handmade at Amazon shops. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Our Instagram page is temporarily down. We had to deal with a nasty hack over the holiday season. We'll hopefully be getting that page up and running here uh, very shortly. We just have to deal with some annoyances with cyber crimes, but, you know, what are you going to do? But, as always, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. Yeah, I was going to say that, um, you know, if if you do look up on Facebook, do it quickly because we never know when Alexa, Alexis will be popping out of existence there. So, also, when you do Lexington, let me and Amber know. Uh, it's about an hour and a half from us, uh, if that, maybe an hour. Uh, we definitely 
go out, um, maybe meet you for dinner and stuff. Definitely enjoy the, the con as well with you. Amber, go ahead and plug uh, your show. Yes, you can catch me and my best friend Liz on the Chair Shot Network and our podcast, Home is Where Hallmark Is, where we talk about all things Hallmark and review movies. Um, you can catch us on Twitter and on Instagram at Home is Where Hallmark Is. And finally, um, just going to take this moment to say that I am a two-time Tripped Up Trivia champion. Um, just just throwing that out there. So any show that you do want to be part of, make sure that I'm not there because, well, I'm not. I, I'm retiring as a champion. I, I will announce my retirement as a two-time champion here on this show. Uh, unless emergencies, uh, unless an emergency contestant is needed. Uh, you could find me. You don't want to do the Batman trivia or the wrestling trivia? Uh, I might assist in it. Uh, I I think that Mark told me that there was already enough people on wrestling and Batman. Uh, if I was to participate, it would definitely be the Batman. Um, but you could, uh, you could always find me uh, on the Second and Short podcast. Uh, look us up on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and as of January 1st, we have came to an agreement, and the Prodigal Son has returned here to the Radledge Broadcasting Network, so you can also find us on all your favorite podcasting platform, as well as here on the RIB, part of the W2M Network. With that being said, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Alexis, Amber, always a uh, pleasure speaking to you. And be well, be safe, and behave.